I'm Joanne Suger and you're listening to the Functional Tennis Podcast. Welcome to the Functional Tennis Podcast. I'm your host, Fabio Molle, and every week I speak to people working at the highest level of tennis, from players to coaches to trainers and more. This week I'm speaking to 21-year-old Joanne Zuger, who is currently at a career high of 163 WTA. I find out about her career so far, her introduction to Grand Slam tennis, conscription in the Swiss Army, which is not as bad as it sounds, and a lot more. If you're new to the podcast, Make sure you check back out over a backlog of over 160 episodes. And if you think one of your tennis buddies may enjoy the episodes, please copy the podcast link and send it over to them. Okay, here's Joanne. Hi, Joanne. How are you? Welcome to the Functional Tennis Podcast. Hi, I'm good. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Great. First of all, tell us, where are you in the world? Right now I'm at home, which doesn't happen so often, but right now I'm on, at home and uh, preparing for the next swing of tournaments. And where's home? Home is uh, close to Basel in Switzerland. Okay, and how this episode came about was quite funny, that we did a spare US Open ticket last week. We sent out an email to some of our, well, to all of our customers, seeing if anybody was in New York. At the time, I didn't know it was your dad got back to us. He says, oh, thanks for the ticket, but just on my way back from New York, and he said, Joanne, my daughter had just been playing there. And I was like, whoa, that's interesting. Did a bit of research. I said, okay, well, I asked him, would he ask Joanne, you to come on the podcast? And you have. So that's how it came about. So so your parents are obviously your your coaches. Tell me about having parents as coaches. And also they have an academy. It's called the TIFF Academy, is it? Yes, it's TIFF Tennis Academy. And it is located in Basel also. And that is the place where I started playing tennis when I was very little. Uh, so I kind of came into it and it was a natural thing happening that I started playing tennis. And the older I got, the more I started liking it and being competitive in it. I also tried out other sports, but I always stick to tennis in a way because it just fascinated me the most to be alone on the court and playing against one single opponent. And that's how it all developed. And then a few years ago, we realized that maybe my co- my career can go to a tour level, to a pro level. And so we tried and I'm still sticking to the same team that I started when I was little. So I have my stepfather, I have my mom who's coaching me and helping me with the management. The only thing we changed is that we have one additional coach who is traveling 10 to 12 weeks a year with me because they also have to work in the academy and cannot be full-time on tour. Okay, well, that, that's, that's, it's nice to have that option. And was your stepdad and your mom, were they pro players at all? They both were not pro players. My mom played quite a high level, but only national. She didn't play on the tour so much because she stopped when she was 16 years old. She was in the US, she came back and then she stopped and started the academy already when she was under the age of 20. So she started very early. And my dad, he never played at a competitive level. He just studied a lot about tennis. He's the one reading books, analyzing techniques and uh, really going into the thing. And did they really want you to play tennis or were they were they push you to play or how, how's that been? It's not that they pushed me to play. Of course, they like it that I'm playing because it is what they do for a living. But um, I always had the option to do different things, go to school. It was always important for them that I have like a plan B, finish school, graduate 
Also for me, that was very important. But of course, they like it and they watch tennis a lot and they enjoy to be on the slams and on nice tournaments with me. Nice. And how has been at the slams for you for you this year? You, you just won your, you, sorry, you played your first WTA event this year. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So actually my goal was always to play the slams in 2023. So I was one year ahead this year, ahead of the schedule. And the first WTA I played in Adelaide in January. And then the first slam was Roland Garros. I think still now Roland Garros was like the best week of my career so far because I've beaten players ranked higher than me. I like on my first slam, I could manage to be in the final qualifying round and it was very special and to have my family around. It was a super nice moment. And I saw you went out as a tight tree. I was a tight tree setter. And the second, the second round of qualies you played, one of our previous guests, uh, Tamara Korpach, and then the last round of qualies you played, another previous guest, Fernanda Contreras, who has done, she squeezed through US Open as well, and at Wimbledon, so tough competitor, but were you nervous at all? What was it like last round qualies, French Open? Well, the first match, I was very nervous. Then the second, it was okay, because I was already in the tournament. And then the last round, I was super nervous again because you're just one step from main draw. I also didn't sleep so well the night before. (laughs) And during the match, it was a really tight match. It was a high level match also. In the end, she was the better player. That's what it just happened to be. I cannot say much about it. She just finished better. She was better in the third set. And I was also really happy for her because she was... She was pushing herself a lot and she was so happy when she made it. And I was happy for her too. Of course, I was disappointed, but it's overall was a good week still. And then did you play Wimbledon? Yeah, I played Wimbledon, but Wimbledon, (laughs) I think it was one of the worst weeks I can have like this year because I was sick. I had COVID plus I had like a a B sting on my left hand, so I couldn't hit a backhand. So like... Everything that happened just turned to the wrong way <laughs> in Wimbledon. I love to play on grass, but just this year was not meant to be. But that just means that it can be better next year. And back at the academy, what courts do you guys have? We play normally on outdoors on clay and indoors we have five hard courts. Okay. So and did you play a lot on grass as a junior? Yeah, I played on juniors 2018. I played on grass and then since then four years, never, not once. Then we started to play a preparation tournament in Italy before Wimbledon. And already there, I felt super comfortable on the surface. I think there's like two types of players. There's the ones who just step on it and feel comfortable. And the more they play on it, the better they play. And there's the others, like the longer they play, just the worse it gets. (laughs) And they want to get off the grass as quickly as possible. But I think for the next years now, we know that I like it a lot and that we have to plan a long grass season. And was that the tournament outside Venice where the baseline, the ball wouldn't bounce? Exactly. Yeah, that was that tournament in Gaiba. Like it was, it was a disaster. <laughs> the courts were a total disaster. The ball didn't bounce before the serve, and in some areas of the court, it didn't bounce at all. It was, it was terrible. <laughs> was was there too too much sand on the court? Was that it? Yes, they wanted to save it, so they put sand on it, but they just made it worse. And it didn't bounce anymore. And I mean, one week before the tournament, you cannot redo a grass court. It needs time to grow. So they really messed up. (laughs) And there were many complaints from players. But yeah, what can you do? We just had to deal with it. Yeah, no, that's it. And most players just got on with it. I did, somebody sent me a a picture of the court the day before it was meant to start. And it didn't look like a court at all. I was like, this is going to end the disaster. No, we were like, we practiced on the practice courts. We were not allowed to play on the match courts, which is normal on grass court tournaments. 
And then we all said, yeah, but the match courts are going to be better. It's just the practice courts. The match courts are going to be fine. But actually, they were not. <laughs> they were even worse than the practice courts. So, well, and then, okay, moving on then onto the US Open. How did your recent trip? And this is, we're recording this week two into the US Open. So you're probably home a week or so, is it? Mm-hmm, exactly. I left Saturday after the qualification. Yeah, and it was medium. Like I, I won my first round. I lost second round in a tight two set match. But um, it is, of course, an opponent that I can lose against. I played against Victoria Tomova. She's top 100, so um, it was good that I was close against her. And the first round I won against Zavatska, the Ukrainian player. She was in with the protected ranking, so she's like former top 100 player as well. And I can be happy that I beat her and about my performance there. But the conditions are not easy in New York because I played the first time with this woman's ball that is lighter and smaller. It is special, (laughs) I have to agree. And also it was humid, it was hot, so that makes it even faster. The ball, sorry to cut in, is meant to be, it's really fast, is it? Yeah, it's really fast. I don't really know what they're trying to do with it because they say they want to make the women's tennis faster and on the men's side, they want to keep it slow. But it makes not so much sense because women's tennis is already super fast at the moment (laughs) and they just wanted to make it faster. So that means it's flying a lot. Especially women's tennis in general, hit they hit a flatter ball, most players. And what's it, is it hard to control? Just tell our listeners what it's like when you're trying to control one of these balls, especially in the hot, humid conditions. Yeah, it is very difficult. You feel like it is a table tennis ball. Like it is super light and whatever you do, it just goes too much. Like you try to put some speed on the ball and it's just always like a half a meter too long. (laughs) So you have to put more spin on the ball to make it come down. But when you do that, you also take away the speed that you give. So you put spin, that means it gets slower. So you cannot go your normal stroke that you do on a normal day, normal conditions with other balls. And is there any player you feel it suits? Who does it suit the most? I think it's not about suiting the players. I think all the players can play good with it, but it just needs adjustments. You just need a lot of days before to get used to the ball. And probably I didn't expect it to be that much of a difference. So probably next time I will go earlier and maybe play a tournament already with these balls because we don't have them here at home. And are they, they only use them on, is it the US swing or is it just the US Open? It's just US Open, but I think okay. the preparation tournaments for US Open, they use them already. Yeah, so next year you're probably playing the preparation tournament, so yeah. you'll naturally get to hit with them. It is a big advantage, isn't it, when you obviously have a few weeks, a few tournaments with the ball? It is for sure. This year I just couldn't because I had the team matches in Switzerland that I had to play the first two weeks of August. And I already signed a contract with them last year where I didn't know that I will make the US Open qualies. So I couldn't get out of it anymore. So I actually did not prepare US Open the best that I maybe could have. Okay, at least there's a lesson in there for you, isn't there? Exactly. It's always good that we can learn and improve something and do it better next time. But you, you, then you came back and you played a tournament there just, just this week. You did good. You did okay. Yeah, I played quarterfinals at a 60k in Switzerland and I just played because it's like two hours from my home so I could drive there it was easy no travels like normally but yeah I expected a little bit more for myself because I thought maybe I can do better because I was seated three but uh, my opponent in quarterfinals she really played an amazing match so I don't have any regrets for myself so that's always a good thing that just means now is 
training again, working, and then next week I will play again. Nice. Now, what's what's the plan for the rest of the year? So, so in this Friday I will fly to India to Chennai for a WTA tournament, and then the plan is that I play the WTA in Estonia after that. It is the Tallinn, the Tallinn Open, and then there is a swing of tournaments again in Europe. So then I will not go out of Europe anymore. I will stay probably play in Israel, maybe make the Fed Cup team. That always depends. I'm hoping for it, but you never know because our country is very strong at the moment. There's not many spots, but I'm just planning to play until December to play tournaments until December. Is Belinda Bencic number one? Yes, Belinda is number one. Then Chil Teichman is number two. Uh, Victoria Golubic three, and then the fourth spot is open. Okay. Do you get to practice with them at all? I got to practice with Victoria Golubic a lot last year because her coach actually lives in Basel also. So she came to our academy and our club a lot to hit. With the other two girls, not so much because they are never here. I mean, Belinda, she lives in Slovakia when she's in, at home, never in Switzerland. And Chill, she's in Spain. So we don't get to see them so much. What's the name of your club? The club is um, Tennis Club Old Boys in Basel. That is the club where Roger is coming from. That's what I was just going to ask. Do you see Roger there at all or have you hit with him? We don't see him there at all. <laughs> He's never there. But a court is named after him. There is the Roger Federer court. And next to that, there is the Stan Wawrinka court also. So that is quite cool. And the members of the club, they like to hit on these courts. The only occasion where we got to see him was when he played the Swiss Indoors in Basel, the ATP 500. So when I was small, I was a ball girl there. And it was always a nice week to see all the players. And uh, he had this tradition that whenever he wins the tournament, he goes and eats pizza with the ball kids because he used to be a ball kid there too. So he was always very nice with us. And so you'd pizza with him? Yes, exactly. After the tournament. <laughs> nice. And, yeah. and how much of an inspiration have the likes of him? And is there anybody else who really sticks out who's a big inspiration for you? It's hard to say that Roger is an inspiration because I think he's just like, once in a lifetime that a legend like him even exists. So probably to say you aim for what he achieved is too much. It's almost impossible. But of course, I admire what he he did. And he's always so nice with his fans. He takes so much time. And I think that is something that you can take out from him. He's always very talkative, you know, in interviews and like taking pictures with everyone. And you never think that he's in a rush. He's always taking things slowly. And other inspirations, I'm a fan of Patty Schneider when she played because I know her a lot well. She was with me on a few tournaments when I was younger and I like how she just changed the game a bit with her game style because she was not the tallest, she wasn't the strongest. She just had a very good hand and physically worked hard for everything. Great. That's great. You have so many players to choose from though. Did your sister play tennis? Yes, she played tennis, but she stopped 2019. She had a surgery on her shoulder and from that moment she couldn't play at a competitive level anymore. But uh, when we were a bit younger, like 16, 17, we traveled a lot together and that was good fun. Like we played the same tournaments, we played doubles together, we shared the room. So that was a super nice time. Yeah, got competitive, did it? Actually, not so much. We were always like supportive to each other because we all also went to the same class in school. Like we were together like 24 seven, but we didn't have this competitive thing between us. We were just happy for the other one. I know it sounds a bit weird because everyone is competitive, but uh, we really managed well. 
And also now she's supporting me a lot. She came to the slams to watch. She's also been in New York to come and support me. So that is very nice to have her. That's nice. You need to get her coming out on the 15, 60Ks. That's where you need the real support. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. This podcast is brought to you by ASICS Tennis. ASICS is a Japanese company founded in 1949 with the purpose of giving more people the opportunity to experience how sport and movement can have a positive impact on mental well-being. They just launched their most innovative tennis range ever. Get the new Cord FF3 Novak or Gel Resolution 9 at ASICS.com. ASICS Tennis have also just launched their new Cord FF3 Novak, the only tennis shoe designed with Novak Djokovic input. To learn more about ASICS, visit their website www.asics.com. But and looking back at your junior career, how much did, did the Swiss Federation help you? Were you part of a Swiss Federation program? I mean, I was part of the so-called national team, yes, but I had a surgery of my knee in 2016. So that means I kind of restarted with juniors again, 2017. So I wasn't so strong in juniors because I had a one year break, but the federation didn't do so much for me. Like I was in that team, but that doesn't really help you anything. It just means that you have some training weekends with the other players of the country together at our national center, but that's it. Like they didn't pay for anything or travel with you. Okay. And dinnertime chats with your parents. Do you talk tennis or do you talk no tennis? Both. We do just, we didn't talk about tennis so much, especially when I was still in school because we had lots of other stuff to talk about. I mean, of course, when there is a slam, usually we watch and we talk about other players and like gossip about other players, but we don't talk about my planning so much or about my tennis. Like sometimes there is something to discuss or the week to plan. And then we just take 10 minutes out and say, okay, let's talk about planning. We do that. And after that, it's done. And we just talk like a normal family again. And it's very important for me to have that escape from tennis a bit. Yeah, because I'm sure it it can be quite tough where your parents are, you know, they work in tennis, they're your coaches, and then you spend a lot of time with them. I'm sure that can be be quite, quite difficult at times. Yes, it is. But I have the advantage that I'm rotating a bit between my mom, my dad, my other coach. So I'm not all the time with the same Mm. person. Okay. And I also travel like a third only with one of this person. So like a few weeks with my mom, then a few weeks with my dad. So I have to change a bit, which is nice. Otherwise it would be maybe a bit more difficult, but yeah, there are the situations where you're just pissed at each other because yeah, you know, she's right, but you're pissed because it's your mom, even though, you know, she, the thing she says, it's hundred percent true, but you just don't want to admit it. <laughs> but I think that is normal. And that's also in you know, mother-daughter relationship that's normal. Yeah, no, it's it's 100% normal. And tell me something that you're in Switzerland, you're in a country where conscription is mandatory. Uh, well, not if you're Roger Federer, though. He got away with it. I think he had a bad back problem. I, that's from what I heard. But you're doing it or in the middle of it or come to an end. Tell us about being in the Swiss army. Yeah, so I took this decision just before COVID started, actually, at the end of 2019, beginning 2020, because I saw it as a financial help to my career. So the army in Switzerland, they have this program for high-level athletes, the elite athletes, where they support them financially. So you just have to do a basic training, and then you can use your training as an army duty. So 
you don't have to do anything. The only thing, like right now, I'm actually in the army. I get paid for my training and competitions. And the only thing I have to do is send them a paper that I'm training right now. So I get money each year. It's like a salary, but I don't have to do something for it. The only thing was like the basic training three weeks in 2020. I did that in October 2020. That's not so bad, is it? No, it's very cool. And also like the this basic training, I was mixed with athletes from all kinds of sports. Like we had triathletes, we had swimmers, we had like volleyball players. It was super cool to be around different athletes and see how they train, what they do, talk to them and like to build a network kind of. So it was it was fun three weeks. And I also got to practice in the afternoons. So I, it was just the mornings that I had the military training. And the afternoons, I could go to our national center. I thought you were going to say they put you in a kitchen. You had to learn how to cook thousands of meals and crazy stuff. Or they had you on assault courses and all different things. So it's not so bad. So it's not what I thought it would be. No, no, it was super simple. And I enjoyed it a lot. And like I get the financial help until the end of my career. Until the end of your career, well, so they give you a certain amount that, and it covers a lot of your costs, does it? Yeah, so I have like 130 days a year that I get paid for by the army. Okay, very nice. And I'm going to end this with looking back at the matches you've played in your short career. You're only very young. Which match means the most to you? Oof, that's difficult. Probably it is Roland Garros, the first match of the slam. So my first round in Roland Garros, just because it was so different to play there and to win the first match at a slam. Not even about the opponent, it was just about being there and seeing how the future could look like. Nice. And just going back, sorry, to the French Open or Roland Garros, you played, I know you played junior Wimbledon. Did you play all the other slams as well? Yeah, I played all the junior slams except Australian Open. I played French Open, Wimbledon and US Open juniors. Okay, so is there a bit of, you know, you've been there before, you've played matches there before. You're a bit more at ease when you show up for the first time. Does that help a little? I think it does help like before in your head because you know, okay, I know how the site looks like. I know where the practice desk is, you know, it takes a bit of that stress away that it's everything new, but you get treated differently as a pro than you get as a junior. So actually when you're there, it's not the same, but before in the head, it takes some of the stress away. Yes. And how do you get treated differently as a pro versus a junior? For example, you have different meal allowances. You don't have the same changing rooms. Like French Open is the only one where it's the same. But all the other tournaments, like US Open is completely different. You're not in the same area at all. Like you get transportations as a pro, you get the practice court alone. So all of these things are different when you go there as a pro compared to juniors. Okay, so yeah, well, you suppose you're competing as a junior to get there as a pro. And yeah, that's, that sounds great. Look, it's been great to find out a little bit about your career, Joanne, and we wish you the very best next year, seeing you in the main draws of all the slams. <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping so. <laughs> Thank you. By the way, I know your academy has our tennis pointers. Did you ever use one? If I have the? The wooden spoon. Ah, yes, I did use it already. Yeah. I actually imagined it to be more difficult. It's not even that difficult. The only thing is when you try to play with spin, it doesn't work. <laughs> but uh, it's not as difficult. It just shows that naturally you hit the ball in the good spot. And when I saw it first, I was like, it's impossible to play with it. But then when you try, it actually works quite fine. 
great to hear that. I was just curious because I, I look back at the orders and there was wooden spoons there. And I was like, I, I must ask if, if, if you, I didn't expect that you'd played with one, but that's great. Well, look, best of luck on your next trip to India. India, yeah. India, yeah. And yeah, I'll, I'll keep an eye on your results. And yeah, thank you very much. Thank you so much. No problem. Hope you enjoyed that short, snappy episode with Joanne. I'll be back next week with a catch up with Connor Gannon, who has now started training at his new US university. Goodbye. <laughs>